I love Ephesians chapter 2. I love all the Bible, amen? Uh, all the Bible's good. Uh, but Ephesians is just, man, it's, it's a book that, for whatever reason, our church right now is ready for. Uh, it's one of those, uh, have you ever heard somebody use a language like, that was on time, or that was in season, right? We, our churches, we're just this in-season church for Ephesians right now. And one of the reasons is because of the purpose that Paul is writing to this church. He's writing to help them grow, right? This is his prayer from last week, to help them grow in their understanding and in their knowledge uh, of who God is and what God has done for them so they can be uh, the people he has called them to be. So uh, if you want to grow in your understanding of God and salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are in the right room this morning in chapter 1. Uh, briefly, well, even before, even before I do a quick recap, let me say this. Today we get to fully understand how God saves us. That's awesome, right? Well, Jesus died on the cross. Absolutely he did, but you're going to see kind of behind the scenes uh, of the cross, why Jesus went to uh, the cross. And some of you might be saying, well, Brent, I know how I got saved. Sister Liv Tower, when I was six years old in Sunday school, she gave me two choices. She said, you can pray this prayer with me and go to heaven forever. Or you can go to the lake of fire and burn in hell for all eternity. And you said, I'm not a genius, but I think I'm going to take option A. Think I'm going to pray the prayer. That's it. And listen, isn't God awesome? Because doesn't he use prayers of six-year-olds in Sunday school? Listen, there are churches in, in this community and around Atlanta that I would beg you to never darken the doors of because they're just bad churches. But you know what? God is so good, he even uses bad churches to save people. How many of you got saved in a bad church? Yeah. Some of you left the bad church to come here, but God used even that church in your life. God is good. And sometimes we think, well, I remember I prayed that prayer, or I did this, or I was at youth camp, and I cried for two hours. And right, We all have a story, something that, that happened. There was, there was a moment our hearts changed, and we became Christians. Today we get to study and understand what that was, what made those things happen, what caused that prayer to be prayed. We're going to see the... the, the the, the, the curtain's going to be right over the man behind the curtain in Wizard of Oz. We're going to see how God brings us to these moments of surrender and how he makes us his people when we weren't his people. That's awesome, amen? I hope you're excited about it. Uh, and, and let me just say this before a quick recap. Please don't, I know we're on winter break. Please don't miss the next three Sundays. And if you have to, we understand, we love you, but, but get online, get the podcast, because when we get to chapter four and five, it's going to be guilt and shame heaped on top of you if you don't get these first three chapters in you. 
You've got, that's why Paul starts with God. That's why Paul starts with a proper theological understanding of salvation and who we are and what our new identity is in Christ. If you don't get chapter 2 and chapter 3, you're going to hate chapter 5. So please do everything you can to come. Here's the recap. Paul opens the letter talking about God our Father. The God of the universe who created all things is our Father. And he has had a plan before he put time in motion. Before he started anything, he chose you. He, uh, uh, he, he chose you. He predestined you. And then he adopts you as his sons. And before you were a gleam in your father's, your earthly father's eye, before your parents knew one another, God chose, predestined, and adopted you to be his sons and to be his daughters. And because he did that and then brings time and space into existence and creates all things, and here we are now, because he did that then, we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. Right, And our belief in Jesus is the mark of God's ownership upon us. It is the seal of the Holy Spirit when we believe what God did in eternity, what we have now in Christ. And then Paul prays that we would grow in our knowledge and understanding. And he wants us to become more and more aware of three things. Last week, he wants us to become more aware of the hope that we have in Jesus he wants us to grow uh, in our awareness of his love, how much God loves us. And he wants us to grow in our awareness of the immeasurable power of God. And that's why we move now into chapter 2, how God saves us. Because here's what you need to understand. Praise God for Sunday school teachers and prayers and, all, and camps and altar calls and all this stuff. Praise God for all that. But what you need to understand is it is the power of God that saves you. And it takes nothing short of the power of God. You are here if you love Jesus. It is a miracle. Because as chapter 2 starts out, we are going to see everything that is against us and everything that makes it impossible for us to, to come to him. We're going to see the power of God at work in our hearts and in our minds. Verse 1, and you were dead. This word dead is important. We're going to talk about it more in a second. But let me just set the stage now, because I did a lot of word study work on this word. And it might surprise you to know that in the actual Greek language, this word means dead. <laughs> you guys have seen The Princess Bride, right? Not mostly dead, right? They were, you put the things in the mouth and... Right? Dead means dead, full dead, all dead, completely dead, absence of life. You were dead. That's why we called, uh, in a, if you don't have a study guide, they're free, please pick one up. We called this chapter Walking Dead People. 
just like a phone plugged into a wall. Uh, as soon as you unplug it, that phone, it may still have a little bit of life. It may still be uh, functioning a little bit, but it's, it's functionally dead. It's going to stop working. We are dead people. Zombies are real. Right? What's the virus that takes our life? Our trespasses and our sins. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now underline that word walked because that is a metaphor for for all of our life. Uh, In the first century, they used the word walked for for everything you are and everything you do. We're going to see that word show up again in verse 10. So it's important to make the connection about how we did walk and how we walk now. Our lives then and our lives now. What were our lives then? We were dead in sins and trespasses. Two big words that God uses throughout Scripture to explain why we're alienated from him. Why we have no life apart from him. Right, the first is uh, if you paint a target. Say you're an archer and you paint a target and you're shooting for the bullseye, but you miss. doesn't matter if you just miss by a little bit. You still miss the mark. The Bible calls that sin when we miss the mark. God has a bullseye for all of humanity. We are to, to honor God in all our ways. And each and every one of us are, we were dead because we missed the mark. We did not perfectly satisfy all the righteous requirements that God had placed a target for us to hit. Secondly, another big idea for Sin in scripture is the painting of boundary lines. Think of any sport. Basketball, football, right? They all have uh, foul lines, boundary lines. And what happens when the ball crosses the line? Right? You're out, uh, play's dead, right? Whatever sport, when, it, when you go out of bounds, the play is over. And all of us. We have, God has drawn boundaries for human life, for human sexuality, for human marriage, for human flourishing, for human blessing. And we have all stepped, we've all thought our plans were better than his. We all wanted to play a different sport than the one that he created us to play. We've all stepped out of bounds and us stepping out of bounds, we have become dead You were dead in your trespasses and in the sins in which you once walked. Now, I'm going to read from here through verse 3, and then we're going to come back. Because I want you to hear this in all one swoop. Following the course of this world, you were dead in the sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Wow. Three big things here. But in this this packed phrase that Paul uses, he shows us how everything is stacked against us. He shows us why we're dead. Three things. The first is this. Back up. 
following the course of this world. This world is against you, it's against God, it's against anyone finding out anything about God, seeking God, desiring God. This world is anti-God, it's anti-its creator. Everything in this world is only uh, in motion to pull you away. Even though the invisible attributes of God can clearly be seen in creation, this world, our cultures, all cultures are, are the doctrines of demons, Paul calls them, meant to uh, keep us from the truth. This, the course of this world, it's spinning on its axis, is against us. We walk, we were dead in trespasses and sin, following the course of this world. This is what is happening in all the sons of disobedience. Right? Everyone in this world is constantly pulled against. Why? Because this world is under the direct influence of something else. Following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, right? The prince of the power of the air goes by many names. Prince of Persia. John calls him the prince of demons. Uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, calls him the prince of demons. John calls him uh, uh, the prince of the world. He's called Beelzebub. He's called the dragon. He's called uh, the devil. But his former name is Lucifer. He is Satan. He was, he was the first of the angelic realm. God's first created beings. He is a created being who God placed boundaries on. And Lucifer was the first, and he was a glorious angel in charge of the worship, and he was the first to step outside of the bounds that God had created. He wanted to take God off the throne so that he could sit upon the throne. He wanted to be God. And this world, the course of this world, is directly influenced by this being. No wonder we're constantly wanting to step out of the bounds because that is the, the original proud sin of Lucifer. And so now he runs the course of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. Think about that. When is the last time you were able to escape air? Right, right now. We breathe in the influence of Satan. You can't escape his influence in the course of this world. When we turn on our television, he's there. When we, when we are in our bedrooms, he's there. When we're in our bathrooms, he's there. When we're at school, he's there. When we're at work, he's there. You can't escape air, which is why he's called the prince of the power there. His demonic influence is everywhere. Do you see uh, how hopeless we could be apart from Christ? Do you see how everything is stacked against us? I mean, look at our world. Look at the pool of the world. Look how, look how completely illogical and irrational our world is becoming. Just absolute void of common sense, of truth. We got young people going, yeah, we want free college. <laughs> you know nothing is free, right? 
You're going to get free college, but guess what? You're going to have to pay for everybody else's college the rest of your life. It's not a good trade-off. But you're just lost. Got no sense. Because there is a course this world is going. It's a rebellious anti-God, I can do whatever I want, I'm my own person, you draw a boundary for me, I'm going to cross it just to show you that I can, right, look at the problem with authority in the world, in any nation, choose any one, there is a problem with any kind of authority, any kind of obedience, why, because there is a course this world is on, set and influenced by Satan himself, who was the first to step out of bounds to do his own thing. And that is who we were. Dead. Only wanting what we want. You know what's incredible about being a Christian? We're the only people willing to submit to someone other. And as we're going to see... That's a gift. The course of this world, following the prince of the power of the, the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, right? The course of the world is full of sons. They're not sons of God. They're sons of disobedience. They're following the great anarchist himself, Satan, in anarchy against God, against any rule, against any power, any authority that would set itself above them. And some of you would say, Brandon, I'm from California. <laughs> L.A., I don't believe in the devil. That just shows you how good he is at his job. Because he's real. How do I know? Because God tells me he's real. And how do I further know? Because this world is evidence that he is real. Because we give ourselves to systems that just don't make any sense. Prince of Power, among whom we all once lived, right? This is all past tense. We've all been, Brett, I got saved when I was six years. We've all been the course of this world, influenced by Satan, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Now, it's easy to read that first verse and go, ah, the devil made me do it. But the devil doesn't even have to work that hard, does he? Because our own flesh is against us. That's why Epicurean philosophy has been a thing Always eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We got to make the most of this time. We got to feed every appetite and every passion that we can. Our flesh cries out for all the things that, that God puts boundaries upon, food and drink. Right, basic necessities that are given for our good, we, we become gluttonous and we become drunkards. Because our flesh just cries, more, more, more. That's why Paul in Romans 7 calls it the body of death. You are dead. I don't know how many of you have, have ever had steak. I'm not talking about growing up and the well-done stuff that your mom served you. 
That stuff that you would just chew and chew and chew and chew and you can't swallow it. You're just like... So you do the whole, I'm rubbing my nose thing with the napkin and Ryan, you stuck on I'm talking about well done. I was in college the first time I had steak. Ryan, I worked at a steakhouse. I was a waiter at a steakhouse. Bel Air Grill, old 50s place, pretty cool. But they were, we were talking, and I'm like, well done, well done, well done. And they're like, no, no, no. And I'm like, no, no blood, blood, no, nothing red. And they're like, sit down. They brought me a filet mignon cooked medium rare. And I cut it. I was so disgusted. I was like, oh, it's mooing. God. I think I saw it move. And then I got that one bite of that medium rare steak and I put it in my mouth and it just dissolved and melted over my tongue and slid down the back of my throat. And I thought, oh, <laughs> I get it, right? I got saved. <laughs> I was transformed, <laughs> uh, right? But I, all of us, and it, it was, Maybe for you it's not food, maybe it's pleasure, maybe it's, all right, uh, sexual fantasy, there's, there's a reason. Everyone's looking at pornography today, right? right? Our flesh is against us, it just cries out, more, more, more. And it's not just our body, it's also our minds. Our minds are darkened. Romans 1 says they are futile. It's why not even common sense or rational thought makes any difference to us. We just want what we want. Have you ever been at Starbucks? Have you ever sat down with that, that wife who wants to leave her husband or that husband that hates his wife or, uh, or that son or daughter or, or whoever, that brother-in-law that doesn't think he has to work and everything should be good, that entitled, I got a participation trophy. Where's my trophy? <laughs> right? Have you ever been talking to them and you just, the justifications in their mind for why their spouse is no good or why they don't have to you know, follow the law or whatever it is. Just, they're justific- their minds are darkened. We trick ourselves. Even our minds are against us which should be normal and common sense. We, we train ourselves to only see through the eyes of our own desires. Our body wants what it wants, and our minds create ways for us to get. Even if we, sometimes when we know the Bible, our minds create ways for us to, to take what we want. This is, this is, the world is against us. Satan himself is against you. You know you are made in the image and likeness of God. When, why does Satan hate us so much? Because when he sees you, he sees the one who thwarted his dreams and his plans and kicked him from heaven. He hates you. And he's against you. And your own body is against you. There, Paul is painting a hopeless picture of our condition. You were dead. No hope. Verse 4. Man, what a great verse. But you got smarter. But you prayed a prayer. Verse 4 says, but God. 
We are in a hopeless situation. The world, Satan, our own bodies, right, just cause us to be uh, like everyone else. I don't want to skip that. Like everyone else, children of wrath. God is offended by our sins and our trespasses. He has wrath stored up. We were, before he chose predestined and adopted, we were children of wrath. We were sons of disobedience, sons of Satan. That's why Jesus kept calling the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, right? Satan came as a snake, and, and Genesis and the scribes and the Pharisees to Jesus were just the children of Satan, thinking the way Satan thinks, acting the way Satan acts thinking about themselves instead of the God of creation. There's not one person in here who wasn't dead and a child of wrath that needs saving. And that's when we get to verse 4. But God, who being rich in Mercy. We've talked about mercy before. We all stepped out of bounds. We deserve eternal separation from God. We deserve the wrath that his holiness demands because of our sin, our offense against his holiness, righteousness, against his perfection. We deserve wrath. We deserved the cross. We deserve that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what we deserve. But God is rich. He's not just got one extra zero in his bank account than we do. He is, it's fixing to say, immeasurably, immeasurable riches. He is rich in mercy. He's rich in not giving us what we do deserve. God knew we couldn't and we wouldn't. So God did something for us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, God, grow in your understanding and awareness of God's love for you. He loves you. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead. How many of you have ever been to the funeral home? Right? And you look at grandma and you look. Right? Grandma, you look great in there. Right? She's dead. She can't hear you. She's gone. There's nothing she can do of her own might, of her own power, of her own will. She's dead. In John chapter 11, that great chapter uh, about Lazarus dying and, and right, he's sick first. And so the daughters, the family sends for Jesus because he can help them. But Jesus hangs out for four extra days and doesn't come uh, until later. And, and Lazarus is dead by the time Jesus gets there. Here's how the story doesn't go. The story doesn't go, Lazarus is dead, all wrapped up uh, in the tomb, and suddenly he goes, I want to be alive, and break out of his grave clothes, and run up the stairs, and move the stone, and come outside. Jesus says, oh, I'm going to save you. It's not the way that story goes. Jesus comes, and he's dead. 
He can't do anything. Dead people don't do anything except rot and stink. One of your Bibles says when Jesus says, open the tomb, one of the sisters goes, Lord, he stinketh. Jesus calls. It is through the power. It took power to save you. You were dead, hopeless. But God's power, God's initiative, God's voice called you from death itself. Lazarus, come forth. And that is when Lazarus is resurrected from the dead and comes out of his grave clothes and comes up the stairs and everyone sees the power of God, the miracle of God at work. You were dead. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us, but God made us alive together with Christ. We were dead. God made us alive. We are, this is why, oh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? Uh, Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. We are new creations in Christ. Just like we were born to our parents and we didn't do that either, amen? We don't have to have the birds and bees. We just did Song of Solomon. We didn't do that. Our parents came together and we were born and we come into this world screaming and whining and give me what I want, right? That's babies. At the same time, Jesus Christ makes us new. This is the power of God on display, making you who were dead alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved. He's rich in mercy. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. And it's by grace he gives us what we don't deserve. His unmerited favor. By grace you have God called from eternity, making your dead heart alive. Listen, that's what it's the prophecy from Ezekiel. You know what our hearts are likened to? Stone, rocks, material, sure, but just dead, raw, heavy stone. That's what our hearts were. But God said, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. It is the calling of God that turns what is stone and what is hard into what is flesh and what is soft and pliable. It is he who took us from death to life. It's by his grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And, now watch this. Go back up to chapter 1 and look at verse 20. One of the illustrations of God's power. 
right? Working in his great mind, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Christ was raised, and then he died on the cross. He was raised, and then he was enthroned, and all things were made subject to him. And now look, in our salvation... What does God do? By grace you have been saved and raised up. That's why baptism is such a picture of the gospel. We were dead in sin, but we've been raised new in Christ. And we've been seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I'm not in the heavenly place. I'm not seated positionally. Here is the, the mark of the Holy Spirit upon us. We are positionally already there. Salvation belongs to us. It is Jesus in heaven right now whispering our names to God the Father. We are seated with him. This is what God has done in saving us. And you can take it to the bank. If God has done it, no one and no thing can undo it. This is why all the promises in Romans 8, in Romans chapter 8, they don't make sense if it's our work. It only makes sense if salvation is God's work. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That doesn't make sense without focusing on the he that is in me. Not me, the he. What he's done. Nothing can separate us from the, the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not demons, not angels, right? nothing. Life, death, nothing can separate us. That doesn't make sense. Unless we understand what God has done. By grace you have been saved. And see it raised and seated with Christ where all spiritual blessings are. So that in the coming ages, listen, ages, plural, Throughout all the rest of eternity, our minds can't comprehend eternity. But in every other time and place from here forward, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You I know you think you can, but you will never exhaust the grace of God. You will never exhaust his kindness toward you. You will never exhaust the unmerited favor that he gives you that you don't deserve. That's why Christians are a thankful people. Immeasurable riches. Verse 8, for by grace... You have been saved through faith. And that's where somebody goes, I knew it. No, it's too good to be true. There is something we have. We have to have faith. We have to believe. So God builds half the bridge, and then we, through our belief and faith, we build the other half of the bridge. And so there you have it. Uh, salvation is both God and us. Anybody? You've, you've read ahead, haven't you? You're like, I'm not going to say nothing. 
By grace, you, God's unmerited, by his unmerited favor, by grace you have been saved through faith. We do need to believe in Jesus, don't we? Yes. That's, the, that's the, the mark of the Holy Spirit upon us, that we belong to him. But where does that faith come from? Look. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, what is the this? The grace you've been saved through faith. By this is not, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, your faith. In God, who he is and what he's done, is a gift that has been given to you. None of us, that's why it says, so that none can boast. It's not a result of anything that you did. Because then we can stand before God and we can say, man, I was just so good down there. We can never stand before God putting him in our debt as if he owes us anything. Do you know how much money I gave to your church? Do you know how many campuses I planted? Do you know how many times I read the Bible through every year? I read the Bible six times through every year. (laughs) Praise God for that. You're probably a mature Christian if you do that. But that doesn't earn you squat before a holy, righteous God. You're still imperfect. You've still missed the mark. You've still stepped out of bounds. And you needed to be saved. And it's God's gift to you. Salvation. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. And doggone it, people don't like you. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. Not of your own works. So that no one can stand before God and ever say, I'm here because I have earned my worth before you. No one says that to God. When we see God, we fall uh, down on our knees and we cry out, mercy, mercy. Woe is me, an unrighteous man. But through grace, and through our faith in Jesus who lived the perfect life we have not, died the, per- died the death that we deserved, went to the grave conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. It is because of Christ we can stand before God and be accepted as the spotless bride of Christ, united with him for all eternity. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God. Not of your own work so that no one can boast. Moving down though. I'm actually doing pretty good. Seven minutes for the last verse. Two verses. Not a result of works that no one may boast. Yeah, last verse. For we are his workmanship created. Now, now we do sense a shift here because there are things that we are to be doing in this world in chapter 4 and 5 and 6 is going to illuminate these things for us. But what Paul sets the stage with now is we are his, we are the result of his work. We are what he is producing. 
Right, when somebody makes a table or, or makes a, or you always know that guy who builds the chair in his workshop or in his garage, and you go over to his house, he's like, check out my chair. Right, right? We, we love to show off what we do. And the church is God showing off what he has done in this world. That's why the end of chapter one, Christ was made head. It was the power of God that made Christ head of his body, the church, and has made us his hands and feet in this world. Not because we're trying. Listen, some of you struggle, we're in the South. You've struggled with religion all your life. Let the heavy chains fall off of you this morning. May you see the freedom that Christ Jesus brings to you because you're never going to do this thing on your own. 15 years old, I was smart enough to realize I'm never going to be the person my youth pastor wants me to be or my parents think I should be. I cannot live up to all of these expectations. And if you, if that's you this morning, listen, here's the good news. It's not about you. It's about him and what he has done. And here's the only way this works. The only way we can fulfill verse 10 here is to fall more in love with this God who has built the entire bridge all the way to us so that we can be saved. You got to see what he's done. You got to fall in love with him, right? You've got to desire, and you will. The more you see what he's done, the more you're going to desire him. And the more you desire him, the closer you're going to get to him. The more you're going to study, the more you're going to read, the more you're going to be involved, the more you're going to serve. And, and as you're doing these things, getting closer to him, sins will begin to fall off of you. Sins that so easily entangle, sins that you may have had all your life. You're never going to beat those sins on your own, in your own strength, in your own power. What you need is a robust, full understanding of who God is and what he has done for you. That's where love is returned. That's why in our four points, we start with God loves us. We don't start with we love God. That puts the cart before the horse. We love him because he first loved us. We are his workmanship, created. We are a new creation. See, just in your mind's eye, see the picture of the church, of who we are because of what Christ has done, because of what the Father has done through his Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why does God save his people? So that we can be a glorious display of his power, of his glory, of his worth, of his value, of his righteousness, of his holiness, of his presence in this world. But you can never put good works before his workmanship. It is he that saved you. It is but God that showed up. It is only he who can build the full bridge. 
This is the story of why you're here this morning, part of the workmanship that God has put on display here in Ackworth, Georgia, or Cartersville, or wherever you are from. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the good works that you give us to do. And Father, we celebrate the good works that we, you have given us to do. But Father, we know the good works that we do are a gift to us because you did something first. Father, and everyone in this room has a story, has a moment where their hearts, they're hard, hard. Some people it's when they're four, five, and six, and some people it's when they're in their 50s and 60s, but we all have that moment when our hearts that didn't believe, that didn't want to believe, that only wanted what we wanted became hearts of flesh that you have brought to life. We were all dead. You brought us to life. And now we get to be part of what you're doing in this world. Thank you for salvation. Father, may, may all self-righteous and judgmental tones fall off of your people. May we see others as you see us. And may we glory in the grace with which you have saved us through faith. May we glory in this gift that you have given and may we only boast, as Paul says to the Corinthians, may we only boast in you and what you have done. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. And everybody said, amen. amen.